We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a week four edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 22nd. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Rotowire's lead college football editor, John McKechnie. Uh, John, before we begin, I want to make it clear. We are presented by WinBet. WinBet.com. Make sure you check that out for all of your sports wagering needs. We're glad to have WinBet on board as a presenting sponsor of all Rotowire fantasy podcasts this season. We have a lot to get to, as always, John. Uh, your dad turned 60 yesterday. I went to another concert over the weekend. Uh, I've been bedridden the last couple of days dealing with a back issue. The Ravens won a, a huge game on Sunday Night Football. You were in Athens this weekend. Where do we even begin? We haven't even mentioned college football yet. Yeah, this is – this is September's gotten a little bit off the rails here, has it not? I mean, yeah, we, we had the, the crazy weekend uh, – yeah, my, my dad turned 60 yesterday. He's down in New Orleans doing God knows what. And and Sunday night he was at the Ravens game. So uh, he's on a heater of, you know, immeasurable strength right now. And and yeah, I, I popped over to Athens. I knew it was a night game. So I, I worked from, from a buddy's house in Athens on, on Saturday and then, uh, you know, kind of enjoyed the, the Athens festivities uh, thereafter. And it, it was awesome. It was great to get back there. And, uh, you know, I'd forgotten – how fun it is there on a game day environment. Um, you know, it had been two years since the, since the A&M game was the last time that I was in Athens for a game day. So it was, it was a blast. I mean, the South Carolina fans, they're always rowdy. So I, I can appreciate that. You know, they're, they're not intimidated to come into Athens. So it's a, it's a fun crew uh, that they have there. And, and uh, yeah, that Ravens win was quite the, uh, the icing on the cake of, of the weekend. So, so things are good there, but uh, my friend, Please tell us what's going on with the back. Man, I, I won't spend too much time on this, but it, you know, I, I think I mentioned this on our, our NBA pod over the years. I've, I've been been dealing with some some nerve issues uh, on and off for the last like five or six years. And, and unfortunately, I could trace it back to one incident where I was a little bit overserved. This was uh, the year after I graduated college, I was still living in Madison. A lot of my buddies were, were graduating you know, with their fifth year and you know, had, had a couple pops, went yeah. back. And I never do this. I'm not, I'm a bad sleeper overall. I never fall asleep anywhere really but my bed. But this is like the one time I fell asleep on the couch in like a super awkward position. And I woke up and I was like, my back was like paralyzed basically for like two days. Oh. Yeah, it was insane. I couldn't move at all. Went, I ended up going to the ER, had to get some like muscle relaxers or whatever. And, and finally it cleared up. And, and now like ever since then, like somewhere between like two and five times per year, it'll just like flare up out of nowhere like I'll just get up out of bed and it'll be back to where it was that that fateful day in 2015. And, and that happened. You know, I was I was due. I've been on a really nice run. It was probably close to a full year since this had happened. And I woke up on, on Sunday morning and I realized I was going to be up against it. So I'm, I'm feeling better now, you know, well enough that I could do the pod. But Monday and Tuesday, I was like, I 
I cannot move. I did not leave my bed. It was kind of a nice excuse to watch. Uh, I think I watched like college football final or whatever the, the show is on ESPN or ESPN two, like mm-hmm. 40 times in a row. I'm pretty <laughs> familiar with what happened this weekend, but uh, I'm on the mend. I'm feeling good. I, I think I'll be ready for week four. Uh, I want to go back to you, you, you being in Athens for the uninitiated. Like I've, I've been to Atlanta a couple of times. I have not been to Athens. You live in Atlanta now. How far is it from Atlanta to Athens? And is there, is there kind of like a pipeline there? Like, is it, is it like a Madison to Milwaukee type of situation? Very, very similar parallels. Um, so actually I had a buddy from Madison who is a university of Georgia graduate, real small world type stuff. He came down th- this weekend and uh, once I finished work, I had to work the full day. So uh, we were up against it as far as the, the vaunted Atlanta traffic was concerned. So it, it, it took about two hours to get to Athens proper. Usually on a, on a good day, it's closer to about an hour and a half. So not too dissimilar for, from the Madison to Milwaukee trek. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of UGA students end up um, in the Atlanta area. It only took like an hour and a half to, to get back. Um, on Sunday. So that wasn't bad. We picked a good time. We, we made sure that we, we stopped at uh, this place, Kelly's Jamaican, uh, on the way out of town. Uh, literally the spiciest meal I've ever had. Like we were both wearing sunglasses, my buddy and I, and like both of us just had like tears like streaming out as we're eating this spicy cabbage. It was uh, quite a sight, but uh, they get they also gave me a free hat. So uh, I, I shouts nice. to Kelly's. <laughs> I Kelly's did receive Jamaican. a, I received a mysterious Snapchat, I believe, upside hat. Uh, at some point in the night, and I wondered what the uh, the origin of that was. So glad to clear that up. Um, <laughs> before we get to college football, I, that Ravens win on Sunday night. I, for a number of reasons, fantasy pick'em leagues, things like that. I really needed the Chiefs to win that game. I was not upset at all afterwards. Like I, I, I thought they were going to go down, get the field goal, maybe even a touchdown, and win that game before the Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumble. But it was such a good game that I didn't even mind that I probably lost a decent chunk of money. Uh, by Baltimore winning that game like that was that was we've, we've had a lot of actually good games so far in primetime but man I, I don't know that we're going to see a better back and forth well-played game all NFL season than, than what we got on Sunday night it yeah we, we've definitely been spoiled so far I mean even even football team Giants was pretty awesome in its own weird way but uh, yeah. to see to see the Ravens pull that off in a in a type of game that they never win like if it if it turns into a battle of trading blows the Ravens usually uh, kind of bow out that it feels like they're a team that needs to get up on you early and then just kind of bury you from there. That's That's been their MO basically since Lamar Jackson took over, but they were able to withstand, you know, these big like momentum shifting chiefs plays. I mean, that Kelsey touchdown was like soul crushing or like yep. uh, the, the, I mean, that, that dime to Demarcus Robinson, like, I don't know why that's not being talked about as like one of the best throws of, of Mahomes's career. That was absurd the way that he did i mean it looked that his release made it look like it was a fadeaway or something and mm-hmm. and then it's just right on the dot um so to to see the ravens pull that out you know especially when we were kind of reaching pedro martinez the yankees are my daddy territory with the ravens <laughs> against the chiefs it was it was very unexpected to see them come out and do this because i obviously uh my my confidence uh was shaken by by that week one performance so i definitely did not see it coming uh sunday night but but they they stood up, they made it happen, and, uh, you know, shouts to CEH for, for uh, dropping the ball. Tough tough week for my Jaguars. Uh, glad to see your Ravens bounce back. Uh, I, I'm not confident about the direction uh, in which Jacksonville is headed with, with Arizona now on the schedule. An Arizona team that is a borderline wagon at this point uh, in the season. But, uh, John, this is a college football podcast. Let's talk some college oh, yeah. football. Okay. Yeah, I know. totally forgot about that. Uh, we don't have a great week four ahead of us. Uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. You know, we don't we don't work for the NCAA. We don't work for ESPN or Fox. Uh, we're allowed to say that this is not the greatest week of all time in college football. It's not week one, which I believe I called the greatest week one ever. This is a pretty average week four, maybe a below average uh, week four. We do get Notre Dame, Wisconsin at Soldier Field, so we'll break that one down a little bit later. But a decent amount of action to recap uh, in week three. And and John, you have, you have labeled this. Uh, sleepy Giants, as you look at teams like Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, all four of those teams won their games. None of the four really did it in all that impressive fashion. No, and, and you know, you, you got to take a, a gander at who they played against. Um, and with that in mind, I think maybe the strangest non-upset result that we've seen in recent years has to be Clemson beating Georgia Tech 14-8. to eight. Like, I, I just don't understand it. Like, 
the Clemson, like that, that week one game was obviously such a war against Georgia and they, they took care of business against South Carolina state. Uh, there, there was a little bit of upheaval in, in their uh, running back room uh, with uh, Lynn J. Dixon getting in into the proverbial doghouse of CJ Spiller. So it was Will, it was the Will Shipley show. Lynn J. Dixon has, has since transferred as of earlier this week, but that's besides the point. I mean, I don't know how a collection of talent that, that Clemson has on the offensive side of the ball is only scoring 14 points against a team like Georgia Tech, a team that, that has given up lots of points to, to other teams over the course of this season, certainly none of the, of the caliber of Clemson. So I don't know what, what's kind of stuck in their craw right now, why the engine running isn't running as smoothly. Maybe they don't really have – as much at receiver as, as we thought outside of Justin Ross. I really don't know what it is. I'm not ready to, to really cast any doubt on DJ Uyunglele uh, just yet. So I don't get what the deal is necessarily. Um, apparently Georgia Tech ran a, a very strange alignment that, that kind of uh, took away some of Clemson's playbook, but I don't love that excuse. I mean, when Scott no, that, Frost came Scott out Frost and said that excuse, against – yeah, and you don't want to be put in that same – category is Scott Frost. So I don't know what the deal is with Clemson. Uh, I don't, I'm not ready to say for certain that, that they should feel comfortable going into this weekend. You don't usually see Clemson only favored by 10 points in conference play, but, but that, that is the case this weekend. So that, that'll be uh, interesting, but uh, you know, where are you at with, with that Clemson game and, and some of these other ones? Yeah, I mean, the Clemson game was, I, I think probably the strangest of all those, because you, you look at the final score, in Alabama, Georgia, and it looks close, but I mean, Alabama, for the most part, controlled that game. They were up 21-3 in the first quarter and, and obviously put it on cruise control, and, and it was a little closer uh, than certainly Nick Saban would have liked, but it, it still was a game that, that Alabama was in control of. I mean, the Clemson scored first in this game. It was 7-3 at the half. Neither team scores in the third. I mean, Georgia Tech puts a little bit of pressure on them uh, in the fourth, but it, you look like Georgia Tech had first downs in Clemson in this game they had more total yards. They had more passing yards than Clemson in this game by a lot, by like 75 yards, which is insane. Uh, I mean, Clemson didn't even have a play that went longer than 17 yards in this entire game. So it was, you know, you could say you're, you were not prepared for, for what Georgia tech threw out. Like at some point, the overwhelming gap in talent should win out. Um, and obviously getting the win is what's most important. You know, if Clemson wins out the rest of the way, I, I don't think we're necessarily going to look back and say, Oh man, that, that shaky week three performance. I don't know if we could put him in the playoff. Like it's not going to matter like that, but just for, you know, when you start to assess the ceiling of this team, um, it, it kind of makes you second guess, you know, what, what we saw against Georgia, where we were, we were basically saying like, man, that, that dog's defense is just so good. It's very possible that the Clemson offense is just missing something this year. It, I mean, it's gotta be, I mean, th there's mounting evidence to, to that, you know, to that idea. And we're, we're going to need a few more weeks here of Clemson really showing that, that they're not the, the, a team that's hamstrung by its offense. So I, I can't, again, put my finger on exactly what's going on with them, but some, something seems a little bit funky. And then, and then to your point on, on Bama, Florida, um, that was just a, I mean, a game we, we previewed it a bit last week and it was kind of under the impression that Anthony Richardson would be this X factor. Wasn't able to go. So I got to say like hand up, impressed that Emory Jones kept them in the game the, the way that, yeah. that he did. Um, you know, so I, I think that, that that's good. Uh, if you're, if you're a Florida fan that, that he was able to, uh, to put a, a performance like that together. And obviously uh, Dan Mullen uh, seems to, you know, get, get a lot of credit for keeping things close to get against Alabama. He did it again this time uh, lost to them again, but, but still gets a lot of credit. Um, so yeah, maybe Florida's a little bit better th than we thought. I don't know how long the, the two-quarterback rotation will last once Richardson comes back. He's supposed to be back this week. But uh, Bama, I wouldn't take too, too much away from it. I mean, if you are if you think about it with a, it, a little bit objectively and, and not with the complete deference to Alabama, it was a first-year starting quarterback, a second-year guy in the – uh, within the program going down to a packed swamp and, and trying to beat a, a, a very good Florida team. So it, it shouldn't be like all that shocking uh, that, that, you know, Bama didn't just completely boat race them. I mean, it did close as like a close to a, what, like a 10 point uh, spread, something like that. But yeah, I mean, it's okay that Bama, that Bama's allowed to just survive and advance sometimes as well. I think we forget that.
Yeah, especially against the top 15 team in the country, right? I mean, it's, it's not like, like, I think a lot of people were talking about this game, like Alabama beat South Carolina 31 to 29. You know, it's like, this is a team that in theory shouldn't be that far behind Alabama. And I, I think if nothing else, it just speaks to the pedestal that we've put this Alabama program on where you, you could beat a quality opponent on the road at the swap, one of the toughest places to play in the entire country. And coming out of there with a win with a quarterback who's now started three games in his career the narrative is what's wrong with Bama not great win on the road against Florida like, I mean it's this, the standard that they've set for, them, for themselves uh is just so high I mean it's, it's even higher than teams like Georgia Oklahoma Ohio State uh Clemson I mean I, they're just on another level and I think this speaks to that so if I'm Alabama I'm not worried I'm glad I hung on for this win I, I think if they had if they had blown a 21 to 3 lead and lost this game you know, then there's maybe some alarm bells going off, but I, I'm pretty encouraged overall, especially by what we saw from Bryce Young. I think the takeaway, if there's any concern, it's about the running game, you know, barely getting over three yards of carry. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think there are some defensive concerns for Alabama as well. I mean, giving up almost 250 yards to this Florida team on the ground. I thought Emory Jones did a pretty good job picking his spots, when to run the ball. He had a rushing touchdown in this game. Um, but, but for me, I, I think I'm with you. I think the main takeaway is like, you never want to lose a game, but if you're Florida like or a Florida fan, they probably will help a lot better than you thought. Yeah, hundred percent. I um and to your point uh, regarding Bama, quickly, yeah, that they will need to figure out those tackling issues. But you know that's something that you know maybe as the season goes on that they'll be able to to manage that. But yeah, Florida, I think if you gave any of their fans you know uh, the truth serum going into that game, they would have expected to lose by a lot more that, than two points. So. Um, that this Florida team suddenly looks like it, it's pretty lively. Um, so, I, yeah, this East uh, race is, is shaping up pretty interestingly. I mean, you, you got Kentucky in the mix as well, along with Georgia. So um, we got like a really interesting month or so uh, of conference play coming up here. There, there's going to be a lot of really key matchups, and, and Florida's going to have some some time to kind of have their rebuttal coming off this loss and, and prove that, you know, they weren't just getting up for this one game and, and you know, we're, we'll just kind of lay back the rest of the season. We mentioned Oklahoma struggled a little bit with Nebraska 23 to 16, uh, the final and that one, it, kind of the same, you know, type of storyline that we, that we talked about with Bama and that we talked about uh, with Clemson and, and that we're going to talk about with Ohio state, you know, it, you get the win, you feel good about it, you move on. Um, but I, I think this was a spot where, based on what we've seen from Nebraska so far, you know, some of the games that they played early on, I, I think this was kind of a get back on track game for the Oklahoma offense, at least on paper. And, and that's, that's really not what happened whatsoever. I mean, they had some careless plays in this one, but I, I mean, to only pass for 214 yards as an Oklahoma offense against Nebraska, um, I, I think a little bit of a disappointment. I, yeah, I would have to say so. I mean, it was it was a strange game. It, it was kind of slow developing, and you, you, it was kind of just like that that meme of like the stick figure with the stick, just saying like, yes. "Come on, do something." Like it, it, it just didn't make it doesn't make sense to see Oklahoma's offense in quicksand. So that I mean that this coupled with the fact that they, you know, and I, I definitely respect Tulane. I definitely think that they're they're a very lively group of five team, but this is two lackluster performances from Oklahoma against, you know, respectable FBS competition thus far. Uh, you know, I think that it's without question that they, that they would be the leader in the clubhouse to win the big 12 and, and that they have the most talent for sure. Do we know if Rattler's as good as we thought he is? Maybe there's some question there. And if, if that's the issue, do, do they have a quarterback controversy brewing? Hard to say. Either way, this Oklahoma team, it feels like they they are at least struggling out of the gate. They got hot late last year. I mean, it, this could have been a game that they lost a season ago, I will admit, because they did lose to, what, Kansas State and Iowa State mm -hmm. last season. You know, Iowa State pretty good, but um, Kansas State, a pretty inexcusable loss. So at the very least, they're, they're not setting themselves back with, with a couple of losses early in the season. So that you can, you can say that as far as the silver lining goes, but – this is still an offense that's supposed to be a lot better than what it's shown so far. Yeah, and this one mirrored, I think, the Clemson game a little more closely just because you had a lot of long drives. You didn't have a lot of explosive plays. And, and Oklahoma is kind of in that Ohio State category where you know you, it's not a bad thing necessarily to open the game with a 14-play touchdown drive. 
but you're giving up a 14 play touchdown drive to Nebraska and all of a sudden the first quarter is over. And I, I think, so maybe that final score is a little bit misleading just based on how long some of these drives went, but um, you know, to go back to the Ohio state comparison, I mean, Oklahoma is one of those teams that is accustomed to, you know, having these three play 72 yard drives because, you know, you're getting a, a 65 yard breakaway run or a 65 yard, you know, pitching catch. And those just weren't there in this game. So, I mean, I guess some credit goes to the Nebraska defense, um, but, you know, again, based on what we've seen from Nebraska this year, I think it raises more questions uh, about what we saw from Oklahoma than, than, you know, how much Nebraska may have improved over these last couple of weeks. Uh, Cincinnati over Indiana. This is a game that we highlighted uh, going into the week, you know, not, not a ranked versus ranked um, as Indiana had already lost. And, and this one 38, 24 in favor of Cincinnati. Um, but this was a close game going into the fourth quarter. I mean, Cincinnati trailed this game, uh, 24, 23, they outscore Indiana 15, nothing in that fourth quarter. I, I still feel like people are having a tough time taking Cincinnati seriously as kind of this fringe playoff contender. With that said, if they continue to take care of business and, you know, some of these teams, Bama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma, if they continue to look unimpressive, you know, albeit they all won this past week, but if they continue to look unimpressive, if there's a chance that two or three of those teams trip up, you know, over these next seven, eight weeks, I don't think it's conceivable that Cincinnati could at least find their way into a more serious, you know, conversation for making the playoff. Yeah, and and you know that they've they've set themselves up this year uh, to get those those feather in their cap victories, and, and I, I know that Indiana hasn't started out the way that they did a year ago, so that that win probably won't age extremely well. But it was impressive nonetheless, and, and Indiana was definitely playing the the best that I've seen them yet so far this year, but Cincinnati just really, really turned it on in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, and they, they do have Notre Dame coming up a little bit later. We'll see how impressive that one ends up being if they are, you know, in fact, able to win that game, first of all. But like you said, looking around the rest of the top 10 landscape and you see the, these teams really kind of sluggish out of the gate and you don't feel great about all of them running the table, and Ohio State obviously has already lost. Not that their loss was bad. I'm sure that the committee would find a way to put Ohio State in over over Cincinnati if if you know Ohio State is a one loss team and since he's undefeated, I, I feel like that would happen still. But um, yeah, I, I think like the, the the door is open as it currently stands. I would like to see Cincinnati get a little bit more flow on offense. It felt like it took forever for them to to really get things rolling on, on Saturday, but when they finally did, you know. Things uh, they looked like the Cincinnati offense that that had been getting a, lo- a lot of respect uh, so far. So yeah, it's all out there in front of them, and it only helps that that some of these other uh, blue chip or um, blue blood programs are a little bit slow out of the gate. Penn State probably the victory of the weekend, twenty eight to twenty over Auburn, uh, whiteout conditions in Happy Valley. Uh, Sean Clifford, I think the story of this one, um, someone who I, I think was probably fairly labeled as a game manager, you know, someone who didn't look great in that Wisconsin game uh, did just enough for them to win that game. And, you know, Wisconsin essentially handed it to them, but 28 of 32 for 280 did throw a pick, but had two touchdowns in this game, uh, Penn state unable to get anything going on on the ground, 33 carries 84 yards as a team. Noah Kane did get in the end zone, but no rush longer than nine yards. I, I think there were a lot of questions as to, you know, if they found themselves in a situation like this, where you have to say, Sean Clifford, we need you to win us the game. I don't think a lot of people would have said, I feel great about that happening. I, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I view Sean Clifford a whole lot differently now, but I, I think he answered a lot of questions in this win. Yeah, you you really phrased that uh perfectly with, with just the the fact that Clifford had to do that in order for, for them to win the game. Had to be close to perfect, had to complete, you know, 28 of, of those 32 passes. Like that was extremely impressive. And, you know, at almost 10 yards. Uh, per attempt. I mean, that that's moving the ball on, on a pretty good Auburn defense. And, you know, Harson has had some good defenses from his time at, at Boise State. You know, they, they've got some guys uh, down, at, down at Auburn. So um, for, for them to be able to have that success, especially, especially considering the fact that they kind of had to do it one-dimensionally, uh, very, very impressive for them. So uh, I know that home field advantage probably helped kind of nudge this one over for them. But Kudos to them, like you said, win of the weekend for sure. And, and you know, Penn State, we, we kind of know where, where they're at, where they have the giant to slay. They, they still need to, to get past the Ohio State hump in order to, to really – 
be, be taken into very, very serious consideration. But, you know, through, through three games this season, I mean, I don't know if anyone's had a tougher road to hoe so far and, and they've come out of it three and oh. Yeah. I, I still feel like there is some hesitation to, you know, embrace Penn state as, you know, the, the favorite potentially in that division. I, I think Ohio state kind of holds that crown um, until it's, until it's knocked off. And I think that's fair, but you know, people, I mean, people have not really hopped off this Wisconsin team. We'll, we'll talk about this later, but they're for some reason, six and a half point favorites against Notre Dame this weekend. Like that's still a very respectable team, a very respectable opponent, um, a, a tough win on the road, you know, to open the season. And then, I mean, I, I think when they scheduled this Auburn game, it probably looked like it maybe would be a little bit tougher, but still, this is a, a top 25 team from the SEC uh, that you beat, uh, granted at home, but still an extremely quality win. And, you know, Penn State has, has banked more quality wins than just about any team so far. Yeah, they, they really have. And, you know, I think this this is an Auburn team that, that will end up being good, will end up being, you know, I think top 15 fringe uh, or, yeah, fringe top 15 by the time the season's over. And, uh, the, I mean, the West is a gauntlet that, that they'll have to go through, of course. But, no, that I mean, there, there's no, no other takeaway than just being impressed for, from what uh, Penn State was able to do to uh, – to get that win on Saturday and the, w- the way that they've started out their season. So the Pac-12, it's not looking great. It's not looking <laughs> great right now. Uh, we, we have injuries, quarterback controversies, coaches being fired at USC. Uh, Fresno State takes down a UCLA team that, that everybody had jumped on after those first couple of weeks, uh, ourselves included. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, Oregon – Still very much alive uh, to, to represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff. Uh, they, they blow out Stony Brook this past week, of course, uh, beat Ohio State two weeks ago. But, man, other than Oregon, uh, another bloody week for the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically the, – Oregon is going to have to be the only shining hope for, for the Pac-12. And I think after the first couple of weeks of the se- season, may, maybe just after week one, there was like, oh, well, you know, maybe – Maybe, maybe, maybe there will be someone else that, that sprouts up. But you know, you see wow. Arizona State take take the loss um, to to BYU. BYU is just like faced up against three Pac-12 teams and beaten them all uh, so far. So uh, that that's unfortunate for for the Pac-12. And I mean, you, you got like an Arizona team that that is arguably uh, among the worst in, in the Power Five right now. Uh, USC kind of a mess, like, like you said. Obviously, we were able to get a good win. Uh, up at Washington State this past week, but that that obviously isn't like a clear sign that everything is all well and good now. Uh, now that uh, Helton's out of there, uh, and they've they've had some banged up quarterback issues, like you were mentioning, so that's all that's all rough. And then of course uh, UCLA uh, dropping to Fresno State. I think Fresno State is pretty good. I, I respect right. them a, a lot, but but even still, I mean, for a UCLA team that that started the year the way that they had there's no excuse for them to a overlook that one or b underperform in that game. So I don't know what, what it is with, with chip, but you know, it's a two step forward, one, one step back for, for him. And that, you know, that's, that's a bummer, especially considering uh, how wide open the rest of the PAC 12 look, looks in the South, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes from here. I, I still like UCLA, probably the best in the South. Uh, especially with, with Utah having their own issues, Arizona State pretty good too. But man, I mean, it, it's all um, it's all just kind of mediocre teams. It, like I'm just looking at that through the lens of the Pac-12 itself. But nationally, that they, they've completely shot themselves in the foot as far as playoff relevance goes. The vacuum that UCLA lost, I don't think is as bad as it maybe looks on the scoreboard. You know, you don't see a, a top 25 number next to Fresno State, but I mean that's a Fresno State team that only lost to Oregon by a touchdown, like really gave the Ducks a run for their money early on. So it's not like, you know, obviously UCLA did overlook them, um, but this isn't like an egregious, you know, you're losing to the 110th best team in the country uh, type of loss. So it's forgivable. And and honestly, you know, UCLA had probably outperformed expectations uh, through the first few weeks of the season. Uh, The Miami Hurricanes, John, it's not good. It's not good there either. Kind of an honorary Pac-12 member, uh, Miami, which – I've been so low on Michigan State these last couple last couple of years, uh, and certainly this year as well. I've I've bet against them uh, twice now, been burned twice. This was not even close. Thirty eight seventeen on the road at Miami. Um, man, just to, I, like you said, what, with, with Chip Kelly at, at UCLA, you know, one step forward, two steps back. With Miami, it feels like it's three steps forward, fifteen steps back. Every time they seem to gain any amount of momentum, 
you know, a crushing loss is just around the corner. Yeah. And that this is one that, that they kind of needed to have to kind of buck that, that trend that you're alluding to there, because it definitely has felt that way um, under Manny Diaz so far. I saw, you know, an interesting little thought exercise today, just, you know, obviously Fresno State's, or I'm sorry, Florida State's season has been an abject disaster to this point. No, no one would disagree with that, but I think Norvell or the, the, the point the person was making was that Norvell is under less pressure right now to win right now, even though, you know, a loss to Jacksonville state inexcusable, no, no matter how Florida state's doing, but Diaz, you know, things were starting to be coming together in a little bit more serious of a way like it. And you can forgive it, a week one loss to Alabama. Like it, you know, that was going to happen to anyone the, the way that Bama played that day, but eking it out at home against App State and then getting just kind of your doors blown off by, by Michigan State, like you got to you gotta have some, you know, and now De'Ara King is hurt. Like you got to have some some serious concerns about what, what's going on uh, at Miami right now. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, not surprising, right? I mean, I don't think anyone expected them to go in and, and beat Alabama week one. You, you chalk that up as a loss and – I don't think anyone really held it against him either. You know, I no. mean, it's, it's just one of those Alabama's overwhelming, whatever, move on. But yeah, like you said, these last two weeks, I mean, it, it just, it, it really seems like they're, they're stuck in that same cycle as USC where, you know, every, every, every couple of years they'll have one of those recruiting classes where you're like, all right, all right, maybe this is the one, maybe they're finally back. Maybe they finally have the guy. And, and honestly, it doesn't feel like Miami's any closer right now than they were five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, really dating all the way back to when that run ended in the mid 2000s, really at no point have they have they really truly been a national championship threat, let alone even a playoff threat. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to go to the year that Wisconsin beat them in, in the Orange Bowl, right, to, to really point to a time right. where it felt like the U uh, was back in, in a serious way and, 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 you know, notching a huge November victory. That, well, and that then you lose the Orange Bowl year. to Wisconsin. Like that's you the do. thing. It's like that's those those losses are always lurking around the corner. Like they're they're always like one win away from okay, maybe we're one step back and they just can't get it. I mean, like well, the old Miami does not lose to Wisconsin in the Orange Bowl. Let alone that, you know, what got them there was they lost to I believe it was his first start day after Thanksgiving, Kenny Pickett. Oh yeah. At Pitt, you know, and I think it was like the week after they had they had smoked Notre Dame at home on a Saturday yep. night, and it was like, yep. okay, like here it is. Like that. That's as back as it's felt, and then they, they turn around and, and do that. So, so absolutely to your point, like they just cannot get out of their own way. It seems like a lot of the time. All right. So going back to the Pac-12 real quickly before we start to look ahead uh, to Week Four, where do you come in on the now I, I, apparently open quarterback competition between two banged up guys in, in Keaton Slovis and Jackson Dart at USC? Obviously, Dart really impressive coming on in, in relief of Slovis. Um, he's now injured getting an MRI this week where we're going to see what his status is uh, for week four, but it would, it would look like maybe Slovis now has the leg up at least for this week. But I, I think that Jackson Dart played well enough that, you know, especially with an interim coach, you know, coaching the rest of the year. I mean, you're, you're kind of, whatever the opposite of house money is, I guess, is what you're playing with. If you're USC, um, you have every reason to, to kind of experiment here. How do you think this ends up? Like, who ends up getting the most snaps the rest of the way? Yeah, th this is a potential headache, and I will say, I think if if we were able to go like all the way back in our Slack history between the two of us, I feel like one of us, when we saw like Jackson Dart commits to to USC, that we sent it to the yep. other person. Like that, that's just the kind of thing that comes across one of our desks that we need to apprise the other one of. Like that's just mm -hmm. such a USC quarterback name. So that that was just beautiful, but. Um, you know, when it when it comes to how USC decides to move forward, that they obviously just kind of pulled the plug on the Clay Helton era. Uh, Slovis obviously draft eligible um, going into the into this uh, spring. I don't know if this if he wants this to be his last year in college or, or let alone at USC. So it will be interesting um, the the political ramifications if you know. It, it turns out that they want to turn to Jackson Dart when they're both healthy. I, I think they'll be able to kick the can down the road this week and, and Slovis gets to start, but it wouldn't shock me if, you know, Slovis struggles again at a different point this season. And, and if Dart's healthy, then the, the fans start clamoring for him, even though Slovis has had two really strong seasons at, at USC and really been kind of a surprise guy for them. Um, but we'll just have to see because obviously it feels like Dart is the future there.
All right, week four. Uh, as I said at the top, you know, this is not a, a sterling week in terms of rank versus rank matchups. Uh, a lot of teams on bye, uh, but we do get Notre Dame uh, technically at Wisconsin. This is a home game for Wisconsin, despite the fact that it will be played at Soldier Field. And this is part of the home and home, the first half of which was supposed to be played last year at Lambeau Field. That, for some reason, was going to be the home game for Notre Dame. Uh, that one, of course, has been postponed, uh, but we st- still do get this one. You know, I, I maybe Wisconsin's getting the home team bump here. You know, the minus six and a half. Um, I, I'm not saying Notre Dame has been extremely impressive. You know, all three of its wins have probably been a little bit more difficult than you'd like if you're the Irish. But I, I can't get that image of of how poorly uh, Graham Mertz played in Week One against Penn State out of my mind. And it, you know, granted, they did bounce back to some degree against Eastern Michigan, uh, but it wasn't exactly a, a full-on steamrolling uh, a couple of weeks ago. Wisconsin coming in off of a bye now. Uh, everybody should be healthy. Everybody should be ready to go. Um, that they, they get they get the linebacker out who is who is on uh, the COVID list these last couple of weeks. But I, everyone that I've talked to uh, around the Wisconsin fan base, aka my friends from college, there has not been one person like, hey, we should we should jump on this Wisconsin six and a half. Yeah, I was honestly shocked to see the line shake out like that. And and you know, Bill Connolly does have this one as you know a competitive game. It has Wisconsin, uh, the S&P Plus. Uh, it has Wisconsin winning this one by, I believe, five uh, in, in favor of, of Wisconsin. So that, that would obviously uh, lend itself to, to a Notre Dame cover. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't trust Wisconsin with six and a half points against a team that I know has been a little bit sloppy. And if you, if you really wanted to play the, you know, the transitive win game, uh, that then you know Notre Dame's schedule has looked awful to this point. You know, like yeah. their their wins over a Toledo team, right? That that lost to to Colorado State, who lost to Vanderbilt, or, or um, you know, you lose you lose or you beat a Florida State team barely, but it's also a team that that lost to Jacksonville State. So like the resume couldn't look any less impressive for for the Irish right now, and they they're able to take care of business against Purdue, but David Bell gets banged up in that game. Who knows if, if things are a little bit different, uh, if he is able to stay healthy in that one. Notre Dame, the talent's there. I mean, they've recruited at a, at a really high level, especially by, by Notre Dame standards in recent years. And Kyle Hamilton looks like he might be like the best defensive player in college football. That could be a huge problem for Graham Mertz. Uh, Wisconsin coming off the bye. It's, it's a tricky one to figure out, man. I, I think that this one could, if Wisconsin plays its game and, and sticks to the ground game with, with, with Malusi and Berger and is able to gain a lot of traction that way. I think there's a path to Wisconsin winning, but I wouldn't bet them to win by a touchdown. No, I, I wouldn't roll out Wisconsin winning this game. I think it ends up looking probably quite a bit like that Penn state game from week one. I think that's the blueprint. If you're Wisconsin is, you know, don't, don't make Graham Mertz have to throw the ball 30 plus times in this game. I, I think at, at this point in his development, he's a lot more comfortable um, as most quarterbacks are, you know, going at, against a team that, you know, they're, they're overmatched um, athletically. You know, I, I think he looks, he can look pretty good against an Eastern Michigan. Um, I expect a similar result against Notre Dame. And when everybody's bigger and faster and, and, you know, kind of right up there with the receivers, you have to make those split second decisions. And, and frankly, to me, he hasn't proven that he can do that. So I, I think, you know, you could kind of extrapolate out like you did with the Notre Dame schedule with Wisconsin. And, and it's a small sample. You only have two games, but you know, we just talked about you know, how good Penn State has looked. I, I think, you know, factored into this line and, and the general feeling around this game is, okay, well, if, if Penn State is, is this good and, you know, they they just beat, you know, a pretty good Auburn team. Uh, Sean Clifford, you know, only had four incompletions on 30-plus attempts. Like, but Wisconsin held this team to, what, 13 points? And, you know, they couldn't really move the ball outside of a couple long gains in that game. Maybe this Wisconsin defense is just really good. And, and I think that is very possible. I don't think Notre Dame and Jack Cohen – you know, go for like 300 yards through the air here. I, I think we see something like, you know, 20 to 16 Notre Dame or, or 17 to 14 Wisconsin. Like, I, I don't think this is a game that, that is high scoring. I don't think we see a lot of yardage. I think we see ball control. I see, I think we see maybe some of the punt rate offense from Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think this one is just, you know, keep it within a score um, and, and try to grind it out in the second half. So, I mean, it, this, you know, kind of bearing the, the lead, in the sense of your Wisconsin ties, what, where are you on the, the Jack Cone revenge game slash Cone versus Mertz? 
it's just a crazy position to be in, right? Like the wealth of talent at quarterback for Wisconsin. Like never did I think we, we would be overflowing. Yeah. Right. It's like, man, what, what would you rather have? Like the, the, the stud recruit or the guy who's playing really well at Notre Dame of all places. It's, it's tough. It, it's tough because one of you know, the, the player who doesn't play for Wisconsin is the one who's looked a lot better and is riding a lot of momentum into this game. Uh, and then the guy who we, we kind of, you know, kick cone to the curb in order to, to get this guy going. I think there's still a ton of questions. So you know, I, I long term, it, it's still probably the right move. Uh, just just with the, the recruiting pedigree of Mertz, I, I think it was such a big deal for the program to get a guy like that. Um, uh, that that I totally understand the decision making process there, but it, it definitely worries you a little bit. I mean, it, it's one of those situations where, like, Cone and Notre Dame, it, it's probably a bigger deal to them. Whereas, like, Wisconsin's on the defensive here. It's like, man, our guy has to play better, or we're in big trouble. Whereas, you know, if 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 you win with with Graham Mertz. You were the one that made this decision to let Jack Cohn go. So you're supposed to win. If you don't win, all of a sudden, you know, you lose a game and you look dumb for letting the better quarterback potentially, uh, you know, walk away. So there, there's a lot more on the line, I feel like, for Burtz in Wisconsin. Um, and based on how he's handled pressure so far, I, I don't feel great about that. Ugh, fair points, but but very honest take there, which is, uh, you know, well taken. I, I think you and I are aligned on our when it comes to our favorite teams and our, our you know, our alumni teams. Always expect the worst. Always go in expecting a 50-point blowout. And if that doesn't happen, then you probably feel better about it. Yeah. I, I guess in, in recent years, George has given me right. hope for like a 25-point loss. But, but yeah, to, to your uh, the, the general point that you're making there, yeah, yes, pessimism uh, rules the day. Right. Uh, Texas A&M, now seventh ranked. Uh, they go up against a, a surprising Arkansas team, 16th in the country, 3-0. Both of these teams are uh, A&M. Five and a half point favorite. This is technically a neutral site game. Uh, will, be, will be played at AT and T uh, in Arlington, so you know not quite equidistant, um, but but still should be a, probably a 50-50 crowd. You would think. Uh, what do you make of A and M minus five and a half in this one? Yeah, this is this is I think my favorite matchup of the weekend because I'm so curious about A and M because I had so much faith in them going into this season, and you know they, they've kind of had two cupcake games and then one against. Colorado that, it, you know, it took them to the hilt. They obviously lose a quarterback during that game. So, uh, you know, there's adjustments to be made when that happens. Uh, they turned Demond Demas loose a little bit last week against New Mexico. That's good to see. He was a huge recruiting uh, win for them. I think it was two years ago. So I, I've been waiting for him to, to start to pop off. That was good to see. If they can get him involved, they get Aeneas Smith involved. I still believe that they're an extremely uh, dangerous team. Uh, that's really complete. And I think, you know, Cal, uh, Calzada, you know, having a, a full start under his uh, under his belt is only going to help. But this is a, you know, this is a Arkansas team that, that's pretty spicy in their own right. I mean, they really made a statement against Texas at home the other week. So um, I think that this is going to be a great back and forth. I, I love this little rivalry. It's, it kind of goes under the radar a little bit, but they, they do it at the at the neutral site pretty much every year. And you know, it usually results in some pretty fun, funky games uh, that we get between the two a lot of the time. So I'm excited for this one. If I had to go uh, spread-wise on this one, I'd probably have A&M covering, and that, that's just a, a, an expression of me believing in A&M. But um, I can totally – that's totally acknowledging the idea of Arkansas bowing up and, and getting the upset here. Those are really the only two – uh, big ones this week. There, there's not a whole lot else going on. Um, a, a lot of relative cupcakes for for the other top ten, top fifteen teams in the country. Um, and we do get Florida, Tennessee, which twenty years ago would have been like the highlight matchup of the season. Um, you know, Nebraska, Michigan State, uh, not long ago would have been one that we're keeping an eye on, but uh, not a ton of exciting matchups. Um, you know, the rest of the way throughout the country. Are, are there any games you're still keeping an eye on? Any games you like for betting purposes? Um, for betting purposes, uh, I like some of these, you know, to, to your point that not a lot of closely contested ones this week. So there, there's some big numbers that you kind of are going to have to go face to face with it uh, for, for betting this weekend. Iowa minus 23 against Colorado State. I'm in, I'm interested in that one because I think that Iowa can score 24 points and I think they can shut out Colorado State. So I, I think that that would, would kind of be. I like the under in that one, whatever it may be uh, off the top of my head. But I, I think that Iowa can win by, by that margin. I think they can win by 24 against Colorado State. 
I like Maryland. I'll go back to the Maryland well. Uh, minus 14 and a half against Kent State. Kent State has some like fun uh, talent for fantasy purposes, but um, they're not a team that I think can really contend with, with Maryland uh, over the course of 60 minutes. Maryland had that kind of nail biter a week ago in Champaign. They'll be back home. I, I think that Maryland's ex- uh, offense is really, really explosive. So I like them. Uh, UCLA Stanford, uh, I might look like a fool for, for going back to the chip well, but I, I'm just going to assume that, uh, you know, a lot of people are off UCLA after what happened last weekend and the fact that this is on the road. But I think Stanford's not a very good team. And I, I think that they're missing a lot of guys, uh, especially in their backfield for this weekend. So that, that could be a problem for them trying to move the ball on, on UCLA, especially if the, if, you know, the run game is taken out of the Stanford equation. Uh, and then a uh, big number, don't know if I, if I, if I'm going to actually bet it or not, but uh, just kind of as a statement out there, tying back to my old, my Arizona point a few minutes ago, but Oregon minus 28 and a half, Oregon can cover that in their sleep if they want to. It's just a matter of if they want to, but um, I think that they will. I think that they will, uh, pretty much just lay waste uh, to, to Arizona. The Arizona completely overmatched, uh, outcoached, and yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an ugly one for for them. Yeah, uh, not, not a whole lot to say uh, about that Arizona program right now. I'm, I'm with you there. I will go uh, to reiterate. Uh, I, I like Notre Dame cover six and a half against Wisconsin. Uh, I'm going to go under on 46 and a half, which is a, a relatively low total. But I, I think there's a, a good chance that at least one of these teams ends up with fewer than 20 points. And, you know, like I said, I, I think this is a, a 20 to 17 or a 17 to 14 uh, type of game. It, it, it's really tough to feel strongly about some of these other numbers. Like you said, a lot of big numbers uh, when you start to look at, you know, teams like like Alabama who, who draws, what, Southern Miss this week. That's a 45-point spread. Um, <laughs> although Alabama coming off of a game where they maybe didn't look as good as, as they thought they would or that Nick Saban would have liked them to look, uh, I, I feel like this could be a – you know, let's let out a, a few frustrations from that second half against Florida type of games. I would not be surprised if we get one of those like 63 to three type of games from Alabama. Uh, <laughs> West Virginia at Oklahoma is interesting. You know, Oklahoma is a 17 point favorite in that one. Um, you know, based on what we've seen from the Sooners, I, I kind of like West Virginia to cover that line. It, it's a big number. Um, North Carolina at Georgia Tech, a Georgia Tech team, you know, that gave Clemson a nice run for its money last week. Uh, UNC, 12.5-point favorites on the road there. Uh, that one's interesting to me as well. I, I, I think I'd take North Carolina. I, I don't think we see another performance from Georgia Tech like that back-to-back. I, yeah, I, that, that is interesting how, how low that line is. Uh, I do feel like Georgia Tech is still, you know, even though they're in year three under Collins, I still think that on a week-to-week basis that they tend to be pretty significantly overmatched, especially against the, the cream of the crop in the ACC. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition a week ago, but North Carolina just hung a huge number on Virginia. It feels like their their offense is clicking, so I think they could they can win this one by by two touchdowns. So I actually really really like that call. I might tell you on that one. All right. So what's the lay of the land in DFS this weekend? We can start at the quarterback position, or you could start by highlighting some teams, some games that you're targeting. Yeah, this is kind of a funky main slate. Um, you know, we we get a little bit of Mountain West. Uh, deliciousness. You, you get some Utah State, Boise State, so that that's kind of fun. Um, let's see. We we get the the game for the cast iron skillet. I, I might be butchering the name of that specific rivalry, but uh, SMU TCU um, and just yeah, a lot of Big Twelve uh, flavor to, to this week. Um, in addition to obviously having a little bit of that Mountain West as as well. Um, highest implied totals on the board. You got Georgia, Boise State, TCU. Uh, Michigan, uh, all those guys are, are up there as the highest implied totals this week. Georgia, while they while I do expect them to score the most, I think that they're going to be one of those teams that that's frustrating for DFS because it's going to come from so many different places. I think that you know JT Daniels will, will stay in there until the game is is out of question, so that they're going to spread the ball around. I mean, they have any number of guys. AD Mitchell showed out last week that we've seen. Jermaine Burton, we've seen Kiaris Jackson. So it's it's tricky to, to really solve the, the Georgia offense. Maybe maybe stacking would be the best option because they don't have that that obvious alpha guy with, with um with George George Pickens out still. And then uh, I think the backfield, um, kind of a similar situation where they're they're probably gonna feed upwards of four guys. So they they should get to that big number, but um, it's gonna be hard to to guess right uh, for DFS purposes. Boise State. 
I'm intrigued by them because, you know, the Vegas lines on them obviously point to, to the offense having a very good day, but I haven't been super impressed by their offense just yet. I mean, they got stymied against Oklahoma State last week, but uh, Oklahoma State actually good at defense now. It's very strange. Um, but they, they don't have that Boise State running back right now, Nick. Like, they don't have the guy that we've seen, and they don't have their Alex Madison. They don't have their Jay Ajayi. They don't have anything – really close to that. I mean, you, you got Andrew Van Buren and George Halani and, and Cyrus Abibilikio, and none of those guys are averaging like more than four yards per carry. It's, it's frustrating because especially going into this matchup when none of those guys are running well, when Utah state can absolutely be gashed on the ground. So maybe there's value to be had there. And maybe this is the week that that ground game wakes up. But that, that I think to me is like one of the keys to the slate. Um, just the way that, that uh, Boise state, gets the ball uh, moving on the ground against uh, Utah State because it, it definitely can be done. It's just a matter of who. Don't think I'm going to let you off the hook for not mentioning Ian Johnson. If, you, if you're going to be running that. through, his, if you're going to be running that. through historical Boise State running backs, and you, you don't you don't drop IJ. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I've failed uh, failed on my co-hosting duties yet again here. Okay. So uh, for, uh, we'll work out. You know. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll for, <laughs> I need forgiveness at this point, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk off air. Uh, I'll, I'll have to make up for that in some way. Um, as far as uh, quarterback situation for, for this week is concerned, uh, you'll notice a kind of interesting name on there, Tanner Mordecai, uh, the, the quarterback for SMU, highest uh, salary quarterback on the board. But at the same time, and he's been, I mean, it's like deservedly so based on his performance. He's absolutely crushed it so far. The, the Oklahoma transfer um, just really picked up that system nicely that they got it humming. But I just worry that, you know, with SMU having an implied total of 27 and a half and, and SP plus having them at 24, this could be a situation where SMU's offense gets a little bit um, slowed down by that TCU defense. So I might look elsewhere. Uh, Malik Cunningham, of course, is always an option regardless of the slate, but especially when he's going up against Florida State. So uh, you need to definitely consider him for, for a good chunk of your lineups. And Max Dugan on the other side of that SMU-TCU game, I think that TCU will pretty much be able to move the ball at will. Dugan has some mobility on, on top of you know his, his ability to, to uh, move the offense through the air. So 8,300, I like that. And then there are a couple of really cheap options that, that I'm at least interested in. Uh, Logan Bonner, 5,600 Utah State. So he's the other side of that Utah State-Boise State game. Has been pretty impressive thus far when he plays, but Utah State has shown a penchant to rotate quarterbacks a little bit. So if you if you don't know for sure that you're getting a full four quarters or, or even uh, knowing that 10 or more pass attempts are going to go to Andrew Peasley, uh, the backup quarterback, then that, that becomes a very big risk. But, you know, that, that's a potentially huge domino for, for GPPs. If you guess right on that Utah State quarterback situation, maybe it's best to just attack the pass catchers, though. And then K.J. Jefferson, 5,700, Arkansas's quarterback. Thought he played well, really well last week. Obviously, he played well against Texas. A uh, little, little bit rusty in the opener, but this is a huge spot for him. Um, I think that he could deliver at least on, on the 5,700 um, salary against this Aggies defense. But, um, you know, maybe this isn't a ceiling game for him necessarily. So you might want to might want to look elsewhere. You know, if, if you're considering it for super flex, there might be someone better for you at 5,700. Looking at running backs, another week where you have a ton of guys bunched up. You, know, you got 10, 12 guys uh, all within about $1,000 of each other. And, and it tops out with Bijan Robinson. Uh, at 7,200, he goes up uh, against a, a very appealing Texas Tech defense. Uh, they, they have not followed the Oklahoma State pathway to to suddenly becoming <laughs> a respectable defense. Um, but then you have Brees Hall, who I, I think we before the year, we, we basically would have said, like, if he's included on the main slate, you could pencil him in as the top salary guy. It, it, it wasn't a super underwhelming week. You know, that they Iowa State bounces back, beats UNLV last week, but you know, 21 carries, 100 yards, two touchdowns, just one catch. Uh, didn't get anything through the air on that one. Um, you know, a fine game certainly for Brees Hall, but but by Brees Hall standards, not the you know mega you know 40 plus point fantasy game um, that we got used to seeing from him last year. I mean, at, at what point like, is he worth it still at, at seven thousand dollars? Right. This is start starting to kind of be the week 
where we know one way or the other for sure, because, um, you know, he was that automatic guy. He was the guy that you just try to figure out the rest of your lineup and you would lock Brees Hall in last year, but it just hasn't really been as crisp uh, for the, for that run game or the, that offense in general uh, for Iowa state. And they, they are notorious slow starters, but they're on the road. They're at Baylor. I, I don't know how much Brees exposure I'm going to have this weekend, especially when you consider that, that Bijan Robinson is only $200 more. You can find some flexibility a little bit further down the board and, and maybe move off of him. But, you know, maybe this is that week, like, like you were saying, that, um, you know, if it clicks for Brees Hall and, and you also are in a tournament where he's under 20% rostered because of how disappointing he's been to this point, you know, that, that could definitely alter the slate. So, so you know, keep that in mind for, from a tournament logic perspective. And then right underneath Hall is for 6,900 is Tyler Beatty. He's been awesome th- thus far this year. Really good pass catcher, and that's always uh, super helpful for for DraftKings, you know, because it's full point PPR. Um, another guy that I, I like a little bit further down with, within that thousand dollar range is Zach Evans. You know, former five star guy. Uh, he's going to get unleashed against SMU. Um, I don't know if I'm playing Dugan and Zach Evans in the same lineup, but um, I I think I'm going to have a good amount of Evans this week. I really like him. Uh, the the Baylor backfield is interesting. I know Iowa State's defense is good, but Abram Smith has been killing it thus far this year. And Tristan Ebner um, at 5K uh, is someone that can that can really be a game changer in the passing game. Really good at that. Uh, Will Shipley uh, still cheap at 5800. I think he's going to be super popular th- this weekend. Um, I know NC State's a much tougher task uh, to to handle, but you know he is kind of the guy for Clemson now. Um, we'll, we'll see if Clemson's offense wakes up and then he can outperform that 5,800 price tag. Uh, sleeper I like is Taj Brooks, 4,100, Texas Tech. Um, Texas has been pretty soft against the run so far, and Taj Brooks seems to have kind of taken over the lead of that Texas Tech uh, backfield. Uh, he's averaging eight yards a carry. He's the only only uh, Texas Tech running back with more than 16 carries thus far this season. He's got 35 for 296 and four. So I like Taj Brooks as a down the board type of guy at 4,100. Uh, Trishon Ward of Florida State potentially at 4,300 against Louisville. Louisville, uh, not particularly good against the run themselves. All right, at receiver, I know you like Devin Tompkins at Utah State. Uh, double digit targets in all three games thus far. Eight catches week one, eight catches week two, nine catches for 188 and a touchdown uh, in week three uh, against Air Force. We, it, based on the amount of catches that this guy has, he's 25 catches through three games against Washington State, North Dakota, and Air Force. Uh, you would probably think he'd get into, into the end zone more than three times total, um, but that's still you know two games with, with basically 35-plus fantasy points on DraftKings. Um, the salary's up at $8,000. He's the second-highest-priced receiver uh, on the slate this week. Are, are you rolling with Tompkins again? Yeah, he's super interesting. Uh, you know, that, that was one of those things that, you know, got guys like me that, that even pay attention to the mountain West get so excited when, when you see that they're on a, on the main slate and you just kind of figure, Oh, there, there's my edge right there. Like Tompkins is going to be uh, cheap and like, that's going to get me the leverage over everybody, but Nope. 8k for, for Tompkins. And I think he's correctly priced. I, I mean, yeah, you just look at the performance. The performance that that uh, you laid out there, super impressive. He's been the go-to guy of a very pass-happy offense so far. If you wanted to get uh, some, uh, so I think at the very least, like the the eight K will keep the roster percentage pretty low, just because everyone will be like, oh, you know, I'm not paying uh, for the second highest receiver who I've just never heard of in a, in a game where they're you know ten point dogs to on the road or no, they're at home against Boise State. Um, but Brandon Bowling, if you wanted to get some exposure and pivot off of Tompkins uh, to that Utah State passing attack, uh, he's someone that used to play for, for Blake Anderson at Arkansas State. He's been really good. He's been really turning it on the, these last two weeks specifically. So he's 6,900. Um, I think that he's definitely someone uh, worth, worth considering. And then on the other side of that game, uh, Davis Ketter, I hope I'm not uh, butchering his name, but 4,700. Uh, we got some injuries in the uh, Boise State receiving core. So if you wanted to pivot off of Khalil Shakir, who's obviously going to be one of the one of the best receivers this weekend as well, and I, I definitely advise using him, 7,700. But if you wanted to get um, a little bit different, 
um, and still get some exposure to that Boise State pass attack, then, then I think Ketter, based off of last week a little bit, um, you know, playing well against Oklahoma State, so it's not like he was he was in there in garbage time against an FCS team. I think that that's pretty encouraging as well. Yeah, no disagreement for me. I, I, are you are you interested in any of these guys who are replacing George Pickens for Georgia in a game that could very well uh, be high scoring on the Georgia end? You know, particularly through the first three quarters. Brock Bowers, Jermaine Burton, either of those guys pique your interest. Burton always does just because he's such a, a big play waiting to happen. So right. I, I definitely like the idea of, of tossing him in a lineup. And Bowers has been awesome to, to start the year. He's kind of having a year akin to what Michael Meyer did a, a season ago at Notre Dame. It's just kind of a – you don't really see guys come in at the college level. You know, we talk about it at the NFL level with rookie tight ends struggling. But you definitely don't see it that, that often in college either with, with freshman tight ends, true freshman tight ends. Uh, coming in and just physically uh, imposing their will. And that's what Bowers has done. So he's impressive. If you wanted to go down the board a little bit, A.D. Mitchell, unfortunately he's 5,200 so that, you know, he's kind of appropriately priced. He's not, he's not going to be the steal that, that he would have been a couple weeks ago when he was under 4K. I, I think that the cat's out of the bag there with, with him catching the touchdown last week. He was the the star for Georgia in the, in the spring game. So uh, A.D. Mitchell would be, would be the other one to, to consider and, Maybe this is the the Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint week. Uh, he's he's you know pretty far down the board as well, so that he's someone to consider. But uh, I I wouldn't feel great about it necessarily. But you know maybe there will be a, enough garbage time at thirty five hundred to to you know squint hard enough and you could see the case for it. All right, man. Looking forward to watching the games on Saturday uh, that eleven a.m. window. I mean Georgia Vanderbilt going up against Notre Dame, Wisconsin. It's going to be a minimum two TV. Oh yeah, uh, type of morning. This is going to be your first time like working under semi-normal conditions in a couple of weeks, right? I mean, you were you were at the conference center at the hotel a couple of weeks ago. You're you're at a buddy's house in Athens last week. Are are you finally back at the workstation for week four? Uh, I sure am. You know, yeah, the 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 week two, yeah, week week two. Um, so the the night that um, Eastern Michigan and Wisconsin played that right. that week, I, nice. I was I was. I was <laughs> I was posted up at the apartment all day, working all day. Um, I envisioned something very similar uh, this weekend. I will be in my nice little midtown bungalow, uh, cranking out notes until uh, until my fingers hurt. Uh, man, I, I know that game for NBA. Um, there's there's kind of like a line where work and, and fandom can blur, um, but at the same time, like it's always nice that like your your workday. Like, granted, maybe you'd rather be at a bar, maybe you'd rather be at the stadium watching some of these games, but um, I don't know. In, in my experience, at least, the, the grind of of watching these games and working through them is always worth it. I think so too. It's it's fun, and and you know, NBA, you, you get those games every single night. So I, I think it, but you know, you you have like a different type of, of grind going on. But you know, th this is you know, the Saturdays are just such a big deal in college football. Right. So like, it, there's like a little bit of as sad as it is because I'm just a keyboard warrior, you know, essentially. But you know, like. It, <laughs> I, I like get a I get amped when, when like it's go time and when like you know stuff gets really busy so like yeah I, I it's fun yeah man the content has been great it gets better every single year that the more resources and time that we pour into college football fantasy I mean for a while I feel like what when we, when we were doing this pod like two three years ago it was like week to week like well are, are they gonna have contests I don't know like it, it felt like the <laughs> the site like the host sites were we're not putting in like the, the amount of time that they are now. And I think college football fantasy college football DFS uh, just continues to grow. And then the product continues to be great. Yeah. It's, it's such a fun um, way to, to get action on your college football Saturday. Like the, the unexpected, like it's not just possible that it'll happen. It absolutely will. There will always be like a min price guy that, that goes off or, you know, someone that's 2% rostered or, or less that, that really changes everything in a tournament. So we, we try to keep up with the trends as, as best as we can and, and try to point you in the right directions. And, you know, with the site definitely has bulked up the resources on that. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of ways to, um, to do your research on, on RotoWire that, that we've really amped up. Yeah, absolutely. If you're listening, I mean, hopefully you're already subscribed. If not uh, at the very minimum, rotowire.com slash free for 10 days. Uh, all the content you'll see on there will be starting to turn over for week four in the coming days. Make sure you check out. Uh, we'll have a DraftKings article, a FanDuel article, um, highlighting some of the night slates, the day slates. Uh, John does a, a ton of content every single week, uh, of course, in addition to the projections and all the injury news. So if you're playing college football DFS, 
uh, Rotowire, uh, in the words of Rotowire's Jake Letarski, it's a one-stop shop. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.